Hello, real people. I am Ashley Brewer, the founder of Could Have Been Me, and your host for today's episode. I am so excited for you to hear the episode that we have today because I was able to meet with one of my lifelong friends, Mandy Wolfswinkle, who has so graciously joined me on this journey of starting and founding our nonprofit in hopes to just reach people who are struggling and help them find their voice so that they can ask for help. Uh, Mandy and I have known each other since high school, so it was great to connect with her and hear components of her story. She is a wife. She is a mom. She is a third grade teacher. She is a downright tough mother, and her story is Parts of it are hard to hear, but it's a real, raw, honest story. And in the episode, you'll hear about her journey in going through a teen pregnancy, uh, her parents' divorce, and her own personal struggle with depression, and what that struggle was like coming out about that publicly, and then what it's like today. Um, I think one of the things I love about Mandy the most is that she's very raw and she's very honest and she doesn't have a problem saying, you know, I'm struggling today, but that's okay as long as I'm choosing to talk about it. And so with that, I present to you my wonderful friend, Mandy Wolfswinkle. Episode two, here we go. Welcome to Real Stories, Real People, a personal journal, mental health, and self-improvement podcast where we're shattering stigma one story at a time. We're committed to talking about the tough things in life so that others can find hope. So tune in and hang on, because here we go. Welcome to the podcast. I'm super glad to have you today. Thank you. Thank you. And I call you a lifelong friend, um, but really we only met in high school. So you are still a lifelong friend, but I don't know like a ton about you growing up as a child. So can you talk to me about that for a little bit? What was life like for you as a kid? Yeah. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Sioux Center, um, really almost my whole life, uh, minus about a decade, um, coming out of high school. But, um, yeah, I had, uh, I was the oldest of four kids. I have, um, a brother who's a couple of years younger than me, um, Casey. And then I have, there's a 10 year span, um, between my brother Colin and I, and then 13 years between my brother, Sean and I. Um, and yeah, we lived in Sioux center, um, my whole life. Um, yeah, my childhood, I I don't have a lot of distinct memories other than mm-hmm. what photographs can show me. Yeah. Um, I think over the years I've come to find out that that's a coping mechanism that I had that kind of just blocked a lot of things out. Um, and which is what is funny is that like I my my younger childhood years, my elementary years for the most part were really, really great. Um right. my parents are wonderful people. They're they're, uh, they were very great parents to, to me and to my brothers. Um, so I just don't have a lot of like distinct 
memories that I can look back on. Most of the ones I have are very positive. I think it's Um, funny because we tend to think that like something really bad had to have happened to us if we're going to have depression or anxiety. But like, that's not the case. You can have had a, what you describe as a a really good childhood and you can still struggle with anxiety and depression. And I think that's what this is all about. One big part of my story is that my parents um, had kind of struggled all of my life that I remember. And I I'm not going to get much into those details because it's really not my story to share. Yep. Um, but there was a, po- a point in time, I can't even remember how old I was, maybe oh, upper elementary, may- maybe like fourth grade, maybe third or fourth grade when I knew things had gotten bad. And the, the reason I knew that was because um, my mom had said, we're moving into grandma's uh, for a while. And so my grandparents had always, they were snowbirds. They went to Texas in the winter and we ended up living in my grandparents' basement for three months while um, while my parents tried to sort some things out. And, and when you say we, is that you and your mom and Casey. your brother and Casey? Okay. Yep. Yep. And so Casey and my mom and I lived in my grandparents' basement, just the three of us, um, for a while. And we, I mean, we still saw my dad every night at the time my mom was working like a three to 11 shift. And so it wasn't like we're getting taken away from my dad and we don't, you know, like there wasn't any of that separation there, but it definitely was um, kind of the start to realizing like, ah, (laughs) we're not this like happy family that, that, I mean, like we just, we had issues and it, and it looked different because my friends didn't have that story. Yeah. And so, um, that's kind of where some of that started. And and what ended up happening was as I got older, I mean, like we're talking, my parents moved back in together. They, uh, my brother Colin was born. Um, they worked really hard to make their marriage work for a really long time. And, um, so in that span of time, probably, you know, fast forward to like high school, mm-hmm. you know, there was, there were a lot of moments of, um, I would say a little bit of rebellion, um, you know, now it's funny because my mom is like my best friend, but like <laughs> back then, and, and, and that's typical of a teenage girl, but my mom and I didn't get along and I had a lot of resentment and just kind of pent up anger about things that had happened. And, and so, um, I kind of took that out in a couple of different ways. Um, one of those things was, um, drinking, um, mm-hmm. when I was in high school, I, I was kind of the only person, and you probably have a very like different perspective of this, but if you remember, like, yeah. um, I felt very like, I just felt like I didn't fit in anywhere. And Yeah, which is interesting because I saw you as like fitting in with everybody. Like you had all these different groups right. of friends. Sometimes you'd be with us, sometimes you'd be with yep. them or with them or these people over here. But I understand you saying that now. I grew up, but I was not the athlete. I was not the one that was good at singing. I didn't have any talents. I was just like very average. And I think that if I had asked the group of friends that we had, I don't think that's what they would have said. I think they would have said, no, you totally fit in. No, but I feel like I'm that. sitting there going, I'm offended. <laughs> I was her people. What I, is she talking about? And I don't know if that was, I think that was kind of the beginning of my self-sabotage. First of all, I had a lot of body image issues as well. Like Mm -hmm. I was the heavier friend again, not athletic. So I wasn't 
you know, I didn't have the athletic body. I wasn't skinny like you and Jillian. And I didn't have like, and, and I just kind of felt like in the midst of all of my parents gunk and, and trying to find where I fit in, I just couldn't find a place. Yeah. And so that kind of manifested into making some really dumb decisions. Um, I, I had a lot of sex in high school. I mean, I, because that's where I found validation. And the funny thing is, is I knew that that's all guys wanted. Like I wasn't. That's what it was about. It was about That's what it was about to them. And I knew that, but that is how I felt like I was good enough. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I mean, long story short, that kind of led to just kind of a road of that and drinking. That was kind of my rebellion against my mom. You know, like yeah. you're do you're doing these things behind the scenes and you don't seem to care that it affects us. So you have no right to tell me that I'm that I'm doing something wrong. And do you feel like um, you knew it was rebellion at the time or were you just doing what you could to survive? You know, I think a little bit of both. Okay. I, I knew, I knew that what I was doing, because because I remember having a conversation with my mom, uh, probably my sophomore, beginning of junior year of high school, where I came home and I had been drinking and my mom had been sitting downstairs waiting for me and she knew that I had been drinking. Yeah. And we kind of went at it. And I remember like saying those exact words. I remember saying you know, you have really no right to sit here and tell me what's right and wrong when you can't do what's right yourself. Right. And right. You're the adult in here. And that I, I don't remember how the conversation ended, but I remember her saying, please don't ever drink and drive. Please call me if you need a ride. Like, please don't put yourself in a position. And then I almost felt like she was giving me permission. Right. And then it wasn't fun anymore. Yeah. And I just stopped. And the funny thing, the funny thing was, is it wasn't long after that, that I got pregnant. So it stopped anyway. Right. But I mean, so I remember thinking like I, that was very connected. My drinking in high school was very connected to how I felt about my parents' situation and things like that. So yeah, fast forward a little bit. I had started dating a guy. Um, so in December of 2002, I found out that I was pregnant with Jaden. And, um, were you, were you shocked when you found out or what was your initial response? You know, it's really funny because as a teenager, I think we all had this, it can't happen to me. Right. It's like, we don't realize how it happens uh, until it happens. And then we're like, oh crap, this is how it happens. I actually was too terrified to even go to the store and get a pregnancy test. I didn't I didn't want anybody to see me. I didn't want... um, I can't imagine. I felt that way as an adult. Like, I can't imagine feeling that way as a teenager. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do. And so I had... Somebody had hooked me up with Bethany Christian Services in Orange City. Yeah. And so I called them and one of their counselors had said, why don't you guys come in? We'll do a pregnancy test. We'll talk about it. During my pregnancy then, I saw them quite a bit and they kind of just like you know, tried to get a feel for, are you wanting to put the baby up for adoption? Are you wanting to keep it? Things like that. So in that month of time, you know, like trying to figure out, okay, now I have to tell my parents and, and all of the crap that had happened with my mom and my dad, I remember asking probably a year before then, just 
my mom and I would just have conversations randomly. And I would always ask these questions that were kind of obnoxious just to get a rise out of her. And I remember asking her at one time, what if I came home and I told you I was pregnant? You know, like, what would you do? And luckily she said to me, well, I don't wish that for you at all. But if that happened, we would deal with it. We would get through it. And and so I remember having a lot of anxiety. Well, I remember having a lot of anxiety about it because I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> so yes, you I, are. Um, telling them was still very hard. Yeah. But um, I knew that it was not going to leave with this. Well, finding a place to live. You know, like it wasn't going to be anything crazy like that. So um, I sat my parents down and they both bawled. And my mom just said, you're not, you're not, or what did she say? You are going to college. You are going to college. Like there, there's not a... that is it. So there was not an option for me to drop out. Right. Because that was my, my mom's like number one, we're getting you through high school. And and did you, did you agree with that? Like, were you in alignment with that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and just knowing that like, okay, this sucks, but I've got some support, Yeah, you know, like it would not have happened had I not had parents who are supportive and, and, and I'll get to that in a little bit too, but I just had really, really supportive people in my court. And so, um, thankfully that is how that happened. Yeah. But anyway, um, so in the middle of my pregnancy, you know, there were just a lot of things that kind of just chipped away at my self-worth. Like, like we, my family had a reputation because of the things that had gone on with my mom and my dad. And so like, I remember, being the only pregnant girl in high school at the time and hearing like a lot of gossip about me. Like I remember certain, um, I remember a certain person a couple years below me saying, well, there's like six different guys and she doesn't know which one it is. And, you know, like a lot of rumors that were like blatantly untrue. Like but it, it hurts even when yeah. it's blatantly untrue. It hurts and it gets under your skin. And if you're anything like me, then you just make up even the worst stories that aren't coming back to you that people are saying. Yeah. One of the, the things that had happened while I was pregnant is we were supposed to do like a youth Sunday, um, which I'm sure most people are familiar with if they're from around here. But it was just like one Sunday a year where... Um, the student, the student body, the, the youth, the youth group was in charge of the music and was in charge of the sermon and was in charge of all of the things. And I remember being told by, um, by the pastor that was at our church at the time that I could be a part of youth Sunday because at this time I was probably like, I don't think that I was like terribly pregnant, but people knew like it wasn't a secret. Yeah. Um, and I was told go in front of the congregation and like apologize. Yeah. Maybe that wasn't the word that it was used, but it was basically like, you can either go and like tell them that your sins, like literally go and repent of your sins. Yeah. Repent of your sins publicly, or we're going to have to ask you not to participate. I I remember you sharing this with me when it happened and I, went to church. I love Jesus. I might curse like a sailor, but I still love Jesus today. But I remember being so offended for you and so angry for you and so confused for you because on one hand, here I am and I'm so proud of my friend who like 
you had done something wrong and you knew that, but you weren't ashamed of it and you still wanted to be a part of the church. And so you're going and trying to be a part of a church that is supposed to love you with the hands and feet of Jesus. And instead you're told to stand up and, and repent in front of everybody or, or you don't get to participate. Yep. And I just remember feeling very like, yeah, offended is a good word, but also just like, you know, at the time I knew of a few elders in our church that were having affairs. I knew of like, there were so many things happening in the church that they also knew, but like, it was this popularity contest, you know, like becomes physically visible, then it's right. really, really bad. But right. if it's not physically visible, we can we can hide that. We can sweep that under the rug, which is a huge part of my personal story is just sweeping crap under the rug. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that comes from living in a small town. I think that like, I just remember feeling like I did the right thing. Like I'm keeping this baby. I'm not having an abortion. I'm like, I'm doing right. And and I I asked for forgiveness in my own personal faith journey. So like there was this, this time where I just had kind of said, like, I I was just really, really mad at God. (laughs) I mean, like more at the church, but nobody stood up for me. Like nobody. And, and now I know like years later, I had talked to some friends were like, no, we did. We went to the youth pastor. I was really angry with my youth pastor at the time. Um, really, really mad at him because you know, like that should have been his, his role to go to bat for me right. and to, and, and maybe he did, but he never had that conversation with me. So right. anyway, long story short, like I was really, really hurt. My boyfriend at the time and the father um, of my, my child, I had started going to his church, which was your church at the time. Yeah. And funnily enough that, is that a word? Funnily, um, <laughs> funny enough, this was, um, a church deemed the garbage church. This was the church that people that was started by people who had been outcasted by their churches. And like, so it was kind of, you know, an appropriate place for me to start. We're, we still go there today. It's, it was, it was a really good decision. So it wasn't that I stopped believing in God. It wasn't that I stopped like, but it was a point in my life that I still reconcile now and try to repair because anytime somebody says it was a God thing and it was like anytime people use these like very spiritual words to like oh God did it just like toxic positivity in the God realm I just get really angry yeah (laughs) because that's not my experience and so my personal relationship with God is very strong yeah because I don't believe God to be this like um, slap you on the wrist, but you know, like I'm not into the, like fear God. And, you know, like, I know that that's a big thing. I, I really do feel like God is my dad and he's yeah. my father yeah. and he forgives me. And so like my relationship with God on a personal level is great. My relationship with the church is still a work in progress. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit. So in September of 2003, my daughter Jaden was born and, um, almost immediately, um, things, kind of stopped being okay with my boyfriend at the time. Um, which is ironic because two months later we got engaged Right, and it was kind of one of those things. Like we had had this conversation before, but like I was holding on to any hope that like, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to get married. You're supposed to like, I, I felt the same way. It felt like where, I don't know if it's where we're from or how we were raised, but like, if you get pregnant, you get married. Those are yep. just 
we did it in the wrong order. But if you do it in the wrong order, then that's the next right. The only way to make this right is by getting married. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Or, and I, and I think there was a part of me that was like, nobody, like I'm 18. Nobody's ever going to date me or marry. Like if I, this is like social suicide. If I leave him, even though I knew he was not ready to be a dad, he was not like, and everything that he had shown me from the moment that she was born had proven to me that like, he was not ready. Yeah. And so for me, I just, I knew in my heart of hearts that like, this was not the right call, but we had moved forward with it. And so in November we had gotten engaged. Um, and not long after in January, um, we had broken it off. And that was because, um, I was at a a tech, uh, had worked a tech for the first time. It was the first time I had left my daughter with my mom. And in the middle of that tech, um, this is where things kind of, which for those of you who don't know, tech is teens encounter Christ. It's like a weekend spiritual retreat. It's awesome. I went in high school. I worked several of them with Mandy in high school. And so when she says tech, that's what she means. Yep. And um, so at the time, you know, I, first time I had left my daughter and, um, and so somewhere within the first, like maybe it was the second day, it was a Saturday, I think. Um, I was getting ready to go to bed and you're not supposed to have your phones, but I had a kid. And and so they kind of uh, allowed me to go back and forth to check. And, and so at the time, my, my friend Jillian's mom, Robin, who really was just seriously, just an angel, one of my biggest support systems. I, I will never be able to tell her how grateful I was for her, but she had my daughter and um, my boyfriend was supposed to pick her up um, and never showed up. And that was kind of just like a, a light bulb like moment. Like you're supposed like, to get your kid. Where the heck are you? What is going and on? Was, it wasn't the first time. Like this had been happening over and over. Like I would have to go to work and my parents would have to go to work and she didn't have anywhere to go. So either my parents would have to call in and say, I can't because, you know, like either that or I would have to call in and it was just a mess. It would never, it just happened all the time. And so it's kind of one of those things where I'm like, I just can't do this all of the time anymore. Absolutely. And rightfully so. And that evening, then to add insult to injury, my dad had called and said there had been something that had gone on with my mom and he was throwing all of her stuff out on the front lawn. And, um, just FYI, they probably wouldn't be together when I came home. So this is like all that same weekend. Dang. All so, the same so day. So baby daddy does not show up to pick the kid kid up. Yep. And your dad says, I'm throwing your mom's stuff out. We're yep. probably not going to be together when you get home this weekend. Right. My parents who had been together for 24 years. We just like, so I just had a lot of like emotion, obviously. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Um and then to top that all off, um, one of them had my baby. I don't know where she is. I don't know. So I don't even remember if Robin ended up keeping her or if what well, I have no idea. But I just remember just being feeling so helpless and it was just a lot. And so then the next day there was like a blizzard. We all got stuck there. We couldn't even like go home. I remember driving home petrified from that. And so I didn't, I think we stayed at a friend's house. And so in this weekend, I also met 
my current husband. And so, um, in this time, you know, I knew that I needed to, and he was just a really great sounding board. So like, as I'm, that was kind of how this, this happened. It was weird and, and felt very wrong at the time because I was engaged and, but he was just really like a rock while I was there. And so when I came home, I broke off the engagement and, um, honestly with the intention of like making it work. Like I thought I'm going to break up with him. He's going to figure out that, you know, he is losing something really great and he's going to come back to me. And I think it's, it's hard to give up on that dream of like, you get pregnant, you get married, you have a family, like everybody dreams that. I was just talking to a friend the other day and I said, nobody grows up with a dream. Like I want to get married and then I want to get divorced. And when I meet my second husband, that's when it's going to be awesome. Nobody grows up with that dream. No, no. And, and so I, you know, I was grieving this loss of, okay, like he's not even fighting me on this. Like this isn't even, I mean, he wanted, he wanted to be together, but he wasn't willing to do the work to be a dad and to grow up. Like he wanted to live with one foot in, in, um, teen, teenage, whatever. I mean, he had, he was out of high school. Um, and I was a senior, but he just, he wasn't ready for that. So in that time from February on, like, uh, Dan and I started talking more and he started like stepping up as just somebody that I could count on as a friend. And we started dating really soon after. And, um, I think at the time I felt like he was just a rebound. I kind of felt like, again, yeah, you know, like things would work out and, and that wasn't the way that it was. And, and in fact, he broke up with me, <laughs> like, um, right around the same time that my parents decided we're done. Yeah. So, and when I say break up, it lasted like four hours. So whatever. Um, but it was just very traumatic. Like I just continued to feel like we're alone. Like we're, everybody leaves. Yep. And so my parents, my mom had said that spring, I I can't remember if she said it in April or if it was May, but had basically said, when you graduate, we are getting a divorce. This was the first time that like, that was real because all the other times it was, we're going to separate, we're going to try and make it work. And we're going to, so, um, how, how did that feel to you in high school? Cause I don't think there were a lot of people in our grade who had right. gone through that. I think that it, growing up, I just always felt like the odd one out because that really wasn't what happened. People didn't, people didn't have parents who were divorced. And if they did, um, you know, like they weren't in my crowd, they weren't in my, um, and so I just remember feeling very much like the odd one out. Everything that I knew as a kid was being ripped away. Like my childhood home, my mom was moving out and she was like, I want you to move in with me because I just want you to move in with me. And I, I remember distinctly like her asking all of my friends for help Yeah, and me being so angry. And I just sat like in the parking lot. I was like, I'm not helping you. I want nothing to do with it. Right. Um, and all of my friends taking all of my stuff and like, I don't know, feeling very betrayed. Yeah. And yeah, then my grandma died. Like my dad's dad died yeah. and our dad's mom died. Excuse me. 
And um, at the same time, and... So this is right after graduation? Yeah, like in July. I don't remember exactly when she moved. I think she probably moved in June or July, but my brother that's closest to me wanted nothing to do with my mom. So he was staying at my dad's and... Um, just a complete my younger in the family. Just yeah, like, everybody just, had to pick like sides and choose sides. And yeah, and that's what it felt like. It felt like if I go and live with my mom, who's helping me raise my daughter. And like, I just felt very much like I can't win. Nobody, I can't make anybody happy. So what'd you do? Where'd so you go? I just decided I, what I decided I'm, I'm moving out. Okay. <laughs> So I, I was going to go to Northwestern in the fall anyway. So I decided, you know, it's not ideal to have to have a rent payment or anything like that, but I have to get, I have to get out. I, we have to get out on our own. And so I moved to Orange City um, at the beginning of college and um, got hooked up with a doctor to get put on some antidepressants and um started to severely abuse them because mm-hmm. uh, I just couldn't cope. Yeah. I, I wasn't drinking um, at the time, but I was, I was using antidepressants to just really numb. I was sleeping all of the time. Um, so do you feel and that like was that's really when, like, that, is that when your depression really, you were, really became when, noticeable? Yes. Yes. Because I was, I was really, really coping in ways that I couldn't get a handle on. And I wasn't, um, I just, I wasn't talking to anybody about it. I wasn't, I just was, I was sleeping whenever I could sleep. Whenever Jaden would be at daycare, I would sleep if I wasn't in class. And I would, I would take more than I needed to of my antidepressants. Now remind me, were you married to Dan already or were you, you were not married yet? Okay. This was, this was like in the same year that I broke off my engagement. So this was like in the fall. And then in December of that year, we got engaged. Okay. And then like six months later, we got married in May of the next year. So like that all happened very quickly. I would say within 18 months, I was, I had given birth, gotten engaged, broken off an engagement, gotten engaged, again, like all of that within 18 months. And so, yeah, go ahead. No. So you're, I'm hearing you paint this picture, like so much happened in a short period of time. First you're in high school and you're drinking out of rebellion. Your mom uh, almost makes it acceptable and says, just don't get in trouble. And that's no longer fun anymore. So then it's sex, then it's a pregnancy, then it's having a baby in high school, uh, getting engaged, breaking off that engagement and meeting your now husband in the same weekend, your parents saying we're splitting, them getting divorced, you choosing to move out. Like that's a lot of stuff in a very short period of time. And your depression is kind of beginning to unravel during this moment in time. Now, when I met with you um, to talk about could have been me, one of the things that you said you were passionate about is showing people ways that they can help other people who may be struggling or may need help. And I know for you during this time in your life, there were some people, you've already referenced one of them, who were instrumental to you as a young mom going to college, who were there for you, who... I don't want to give them more credit because you did this, but who are probably part of why you're where you are today. Talk a little bit about that. 
obviously I had big connections. I had parents who, despite anything that went on with them, like never stopped showing up for me. Right. So it wasn't like <clears throat> I didn't have, I didn't have help. And my husband, and at the time he was my boyfriend. I mean, like I couldn't have done what I had done without them for sure. But then, yes, I also had um, a couple of people step in at the time and offer to babysit my kids, my, well, my daughter for free. Like it was, it was something that doesn't really seem large, like, okay, you watched my kid. But like, for me, that was the difference between having to work two more nights a week to pay for daycare or be home with my kid, you know? Um, so like having those things. And then in high school, like, um, my guidance counselor at the time, like, I wouldn't have probably decided to go to Northwestern. Yeah. If I, you know, like I didn't even know my parents never went to college. They had no idea how to fill out a FAFSA or, you know, like the year that I had Jaden, my guidance counselor did my taxes <laughs> for me to get me money. Like, to, like, I love it. Or, yeah. He did my FAFSA. He got me into college. Um, he fought for me to get on the honor roll when I was a junior because, Again, that was something they were going to take away from me because I was pregnant. Like there were just these people that like, now I maybe don't talk to Mr. Schroeder. I don't talk to him. You know, really he, you know, I see him on Facebook, but really like, I don't, I don't necessarily always have a contact with all of the people that were instrumental in getting me to where I am. But like every connection mattered. Yeah. Like the teachers that had my back, the teachers that were like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're just... We're just going to do what we need to do to get you out of here. You're already, you already are graduating six in your class. We don't need to fill in your schedule with all this stuff. How about we just get everything finished at the beginning? I mean, my principal was like, you don't need to be here all day. Let's get you home yeah. at lunchtime so you can be a mom. So like just all of the people who decided, hey, like there's a way I can give her an outcome that not everybody or gets. Or like you're, you're worth right. fighting for. Like the, every right. little action like that tells you that you're worth fighting for. And when you're someone who struggles with self-worth like me, you need those types of affirmations in your life and you need those people in your life um, to help you through. So I'm glad you had those people. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And, and that just continued al- along the way. Like I just you meet people along the way that become family and, and, you know, when they say it takes a village, it's cliche, but I mean, like I find out more and more every single day, the older my kids get, the more, I mean, like there's nothing that's more true Yeah, <laughs> than it takes a village. Absolutely. To raise a family, so. so, um, I, I want to go back a little bit to when you were really struggling with that depression in college and thank God for these people who are helping you with Jaden and for Dan, who's now your amazing husband, to help you through that moment. Let's talk a little bit about body is- image issues during that time. How did your depression affect that or did it or did it not? I don't know. I haven't thrown you this question in advance. How was all of that tying into this? Um, I just think that that was something that was highly embedded into my psyche from a young age. You know, like I had people who said, you're really pretty. You'd be really pretty if you were thinner, you know, like just things that complimenting you and you don't take it that way. And I'm like, okay, well, thanks, I guess. (laughs) Um, and I don't know, like, I'm not somebody that is like a, 
like an emotional eater. I actually don't eat a lot when I'm anxious or depressed, but I drink a lot. Yeah. So that doesn't help, you know? So like that is kind of perpetual and it still is something, it is still something that just like doesn't go away. Like I would say now it makes me feel very, um, inadequate. Like yeah. I would be looked at like a better teacher or like, I don't feel this way from my husband, but like myself, I feel like I'd be a better wife. I would be a better, like, I would do a lot more things if I felt confident in my own skin. There came a point in time when I think in high school, and I remember telling one of my friends this, um, I said to him, I just, if I try to lose weight and I don't do it, then I failed. Right. So if I just don't try, then at least I can be like, well, I'm not really trying. Right. You so didn't I fail. Mean, you didn't fail because you didn't, I didn't try. Fail. Like I just didn't do it. I'm the same way with golfing. I refuse to golf. I've never golfed yeah. in my life. And I refuse right. to now at the age of 35 because I'm like, if I golf, I know I'm going to be absolutely terrible. So I just don't do it. Right. And I think where I'm at now is, as I'm, again, it goes back to that word disappointment. Like my therapist and I were just kind of dissecting that word last time. She's like, what I hear out of your mouth is a lot of you feel like you let people down or that you let yourself down. Like disappointment is such a big word to you. And yeah, I think, I mean, like I don't keep promises to myself. So like, I can't take myself seriously. And that's a big one. Like it's one of those things that's so frustrating because I am the only person that has the power to change that. Like nobody else can do that for me. I'm the only person that can, and I'm doing nothing. Right. Like I, so I'm in this place right now where again, like, oh, well, if I, I'm not trying, then I, then, but then I hate, like I, and hate is a really strong word, but like, I loathe myself. Yeah. Like to, you know, like I, you get so I'm frustrated so with yourself and where you're at that it just turns into this inward self-hatred and that yeah. becomes like just a, a mess. <laughs> and I think it's really hard to love everybody else in your life well when you don't love yourself. Yeah. I think for me, like in my journey of therapy, that that's been the biggest, hardest part for me is, is learning to love myself and learning to find out who I am again. Um, and, oh, yeah. and this is not about me. This is about your story. But I do want to get into something here. Um, we've covered a lot already, but you also opened up in your blog about having depression. And um, we've talked a little bit about how that was received. But before we do that, I wanted to read part of your blog. This is from June 28 of 2016. Last year, at this time, I was a hot mess of sadness. I was swallowed up in the thickest of my depression with no light at the end of the tunnel. I was drowning. I wasn't able to take care of myself or my children properly. I was a crappy friend, a crappy mom, a crappy wife. Worse than that, I didn't know if I cared that I was all these things. Well, my tribe was phenomenal. They helped me see the benefits of getting help. They sat with me when I cried. They wrapped blankets around me and hugged me tight. They made me laugh. They took my mind off my sad. They asked how I was doing. They knew when to talk about it and when to steer clear. They showed up. So like you have people around you that love you and care about you and that 
have showed up. Um, how was opening up about your depression on a blog? Like it, a blog is very personal, but it's also very public. Like it's out there. Anybody can see it. How was that received by people? Actually, really, really well. I think I intentionally, what I've learned over the years is that writing is very therapeutic for me. I really, really love to write. And I just got to a point where I was like, okay, either I'm the only one that feels this way, which I don't think I am. Right. You're absolutely or, not. Or um, there are so many people that are feeling this way and we feel they're probably feeling as lonely as I, as I am. And so I remember thinking, okay, I can either share this with the world or I can just continue to be this. Yeah. And I hated who I was then. And I hated where I was then. And if I'm honest this year, like until this year, I was never, I have not been that bad since. Yeah. Um, and so I'm like, well, we'll go for it. We'll see. And the thing is, is it's public, but it's behind a screen. Right. So just like you have people who are really, really big jerks <laughs> behind a screen. Cause they can be, yeah. um, I knew that either, like I was behind a screen. Nobody had to look me in the eyes and talk to me about it. Um, I didn't have to explain it. You know, like it was, it's easier to do that when you are behind the screen. You've kind so, of mentioned um, in, in talking to me too, and sorry not to interrupt, but like that, there was one of two reactions. It was either like the people were like all about you talking about it, even though they were shocked to hear that you struggled yeah. with depression because you seem like a very happy person. Or there were the people who it's almost like, they saw you and they had read it and they knew you were depressed and they're like, oh my gosh, I have to turn the other way and walk on the other side of the road because there is Mandy and I don't know what to say. And part of this show is shattering stigma one story at a time. And so you felt some of that stigma in your life. What is that like? look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, it's funny because... I think when you want to pretend, it's very easy to do. Like, it's very easy to pretend that I have it all together and I don't have to. So, I mean, there were a lot of people that were like, I had no idea. I had no idea. But then it still wasn't like when the initial, when the initial like, oh, this wore off and okay, now we know like she's got depression. And then it became like a, like a, a word that everybody used. Yeah. And so then you had the people that were like, oh, that's just a word to get you attention. So then you really didn't want to use it because you didn't want anybody thinking that you were like trying to get attention because I, I hate attention. I hate it. Um, and when I when I was a kid, that was the opposite. I tried getting all the attention that I could and it was all negative. Yeah. And so now I'm just like, oh, please don't, you know, again, don't like come to me. Don't put me in the spotlight. Um so it, it's just funny, but yes, there were, there were some people that would, that would talk to me about it, but the majority of people just didn't, didn't talk about it again. Yeah. You know, like, well, if I don't, if I don't ask her, um, how it's going, because that's the thing, like being somebody, I, I try to live very authentically. I try very hard. It's hard for me to be somebody I'm not. Yeah. So when people ask me, and like, how are you? you? 
Uh, it comes with pros and cons. <laughs> but like when people ask me, how are you? It feels so, um, I, I just, to say I'm fine, especially when most of the time I'm not feel, I mean, and there's like a right time and a wrong time, right? Like you're walking down the hall and you're not going to be like, well, you know, I have therapy today. So it's almost like one of those questions we ask because we're just uncomfortable. Like, how are you? But you don't really want the answer. Like if, no, you, if you're right. not good, don't say you're not good. Cause I don't know how to handle that right now. Exactly. And then, so that's what it became. It became this, like, I felt like I was betraying myself to say, I'm good. Everything's great. Um, but I do, I mean, I do have people that know me well enough now. Like I have superb colleagues that are like, do ask. And especially when they like, know things are chaotic and overwhelming and whatever they will, they will stop in and ask. And so, I mean, like, and just my friends and th- people know, I mean, people, people can tell I do have a good tribe of people and, that I can talk and to I guess about it. But. Some of that is like, that's kind of the point of why you and I are here with real stories, real people yeah. is like, I reached a point this year when I decided to start could have been me where I'm like, screw it. If other people don't want to talk about this, screw it. If other people think that these topics are uncomfortable, because guess what? They're really uncomfortable to talk about, but they're way freaking more uncomfortable to live through. And we, you and I are people who have lived through this stuff. And so we're going to talk about it and we don't really care what people think because there is too much silence out there. There are too many people that are struggling and that aren't using their voice. And I know, Mandy, that I appreciate your authenticity so much. When I approached you about getting involved with Could Have Been Me, one of the things that you actually said to me was like, yes, absolutely, but I want you to know that I'm struggling right now. Like this year has been really hard for me and I'm kind of in a dark place and I'm so proud of you. Like you've started going to therapy again and you're, you're taking all these steps and doing all of these things. What has that been like for you right now? You know, it's funny because I have always been a very big proponent of therapy. Like I will recommend that to every single person. But the funny thing is, is I've never gone to therapy until this year <laughs> since I was forced to go by my mom in, in grade school. Right. So like, I've never actually gone, Yeah. but I am a huge proponent. And, you know, there was a moment when I kind of hit rock bottom with, with my drinking, um, back in October and which is not long ago, it was the end of October actually. And it was one of those moments where I, I hit rock bottom. I had, I had disappointed my husband very badly and I disappointed myself and I, you know, I was having suicidal ideations. I was really like thinking, yeah, yeah. Um, like what is the point? Like everybody would be so much better off if I wasn't here. And it's, it's, you know, that's not true, but that's the disease right. but of depression. In the, t- in the time, it's like, it's so, it's, it's scary, but it's like, I, it's good to have felt it uh, like realistically in the moment because it makes you really understand when people do it. Yeah. Like they're just not in the right state of mind. Yeah. They just didn't have, they didn't have somebody to stop them. Yeah. 
I just, I, you know, that was the moment where I was like, okay, I've been talking about getting help all year. It's time. And I really wanted to find somebody that I could see in person and, um, because I hadn't gone and, and I'm, I have no problem doing it over zoom. I have no problem doing this, but without having like a relationship or a connection, I felt like it's hard to open up. I, it's hard to do that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I've seen my therapist now a total of like four times. So I haven't been there very long, but she has been amazing. And I do, I just feel like she's holding it for me. Yeah. Like, I just feel like I don't have to carry so much. And I don't know if it's just like knowing I have to check in with her, but like, I have not gotten blackout drunk since I've gone to therapy. So that in and of itself has just been good. That's because a win right there. Even just your willingness to like share that on a podcast that's likely going to be heard in m- many different, uh, you know, nations across the globe. Like that is a huge step. And there's something that is healing about talking through our struggles and our trauma. And um, one thing that I love about you is you've gotten very creative with some of your own, like how to stay mentally healthy and how to stay mentally well. And so there was one thing, this is back from 2016 too, but that you had posted on Facebook. And I just want to read through it because I think this shows like how important it is to focus on our mental health, even when it's hard. And you have posted this. So I've always bought into the idea that humanity is connected, that we all belong to each other. That whole, it takes a village sentimental crap is right up my alley. Anyway, a few years ago, I was really getting into the hang of running lifting thing. And then this whole depression anxiety came out of nowhere and put me into a tailspin. I stopped working out. I gained about 35 pounds in a year. I ate all of the chips and queso. Yeah, I'm right there with you, woman. And life seemed a lot less colorful. I'm slowly turtle pacing my way out of this crap. Anyways, I can't seem to stay consistent with my workouts, but I thought maybe if I had the motivation to work out that came from somewhere outside of myself, I would be more consistent. So that brings me to you. I thought maybe if I did my workouts for someone else, I would push myself harder. This is out of my comfort zone, but I have nothing to lose, so I'm just going to go for it. My goal is to lift, run, or exercise for someone new each time I head into a workout. If you would like to add someone you love or yourself to the list, drop a line in the comments or send a private message and tell me their story. I'll make a list of your loved ones and work my way through it sprinkling my tribe in there as well. Today, I ran for a man in our community that was riding his motorcycle and got hit by a car that accidentally pulled out in front of him. He is going into surgery today to get his foot amputated. And so today I ran for John. I love that. Thanks for calling me out and my BS. I haven't done that in a real long time. No, but I just think like (laughs) at that moment in time, you were obviously in a place where you knew you needed to do anything to pull from whatever you could to get into a place where you knew working out helped you be mentally well personally, and you were willing to take creative steps to get there. And I love that about you. I think that's awesome. And now I feel like I need to go find people to run for. (laughs) Right? right. Yeah. I need to just like run at all. Yeah. I can't, I have not ran in a very long time. So, hey, one step at a <laughs> time, one day at a time, one minute at a time. Right. That's what we say. So, we covered a lot. We covered teen pregnancy, 
divorce of your parents, body image issues. We kind of skipped a lot of your life because we can't share everything all in one sitting. But is there anything that was instrumental or important about your journey that you feel like we need to share? Oh, I just, again, I'm just reiterating the importance of, of relationships and being yourself. You know, I think that, um, those things keep you grounded, um, finding people that will show up and won't necessarily try to fix you, but will walk with you as you're in it. I just think that those are the people that, um, I am just super grateful for, you know, like my husband is so great about, he doesn't have the words and I I think he wishes he probably did. He probably wishes he could fix it, but, um, even like, okay, we're just going to sit here and I'm just going to hold your hand or I'm just going to hug you. And, and eventually I'll, I'll feel better. Like eventually it's, it doesn't feel this heavy, but like just people who are like, let's just hang out in our pajamas and watch Netflix. And, you know, I just, a lot of my friends have done that and that's been hard in 2020 when we felt so isolated and, um, but yeah, my friend Drew and like any, just any of my friends that have been around in 2020, like that has been very, has been very, very helpful. And I think that in your bio on the could have been me website, you state it very beautifully. You said life is so much better when it's done with each other not perfectly, but authentically, and most importantly, together. And I think if I could sum up like what I've heard from you today, that that's it. It's the need to find your people and keep them close. And if you're listening to this podcast and you are somebody's people, show up for them. That's something else that Mandy said. And Mandy, Man, you're courageous for being able to share everything that you shared today. Um, I'd love to have your husband, Dan, on a future episode so that I could get his perspective on some of this as well in supporting somebody through that journey. And I have two questions for you here in closing. Um, If you could go back in time and tell a younger version of yourself one thing, what would you say? Man, um, probably two things. I would say most people aren't thinking about you. <laughs> Nobody cares about you. Um, you're you're overthinking it way too much because they're just thinking about themselves because that's what we do when we're young. Yeah. And also too, like, I don't have to have it all figured out. Like, you don't have to have it all figured out. Just do the next right thing. Yeah. Like, what is the next thing that you have to do that is the right thing? Do that and then worry about the next thing because overthinking um, will be the death of you. I get in my own head so much. I overthink and overanalyze everything. So that's good advice for me today, not just like the younger version of myself. So um, lastly, what brings you joy every single day? Well, right now it is the cozy Christmas lights in my living room where I like to sit and watch Christmas movies and drink my apple cider and read my books. Oh my goodness. I haven't had apple cider yet this holiday season. I need some of this in my life. So that's what brings me joy in December. And we don't have snow yet. So I'm... I'm good. You are good. Okay. And I lied. I got, I got two more questions for you. Okay. (laughs) What can you do today that you weren't capable of a year ago? Um, I think 
actually take the first step in going back to therapy. Good job. <laughs> a year ago, I couldn't, I wasn't doing that. And maybe I could have, but I didn't. So I'm seeking help and therapy was something I can do and today. That kudos to you for taking that step. It's a big one. So, yeah. And then lastly, what were you, what would you do differently if nobody would judge you? Oh, that's a good one. I think use my voice more. I think I would. I, I'm pretty sure you just like did that. Like you actually just no, used your voice but, a whole heck but, of a lot. Like I think in in the moment, like again, this is easy because it's you and me and and I love you and you're my friend and and like I don't, I know I'm not going to get judgment from you. So I think like, I think I would put, I would use my voice more in situations where normally I would maybe be quiet because I don't know what somebody else might say behind my back when I'm finished, whether that be at work or, um, but yeah, I think I would, I would speak up a little bit more. Awesome. Well, Mandy, I'm like beyond proud of you for talking through this, especially because you're still in the midst of it. I think that's what this is all about. I am beyond grateful to have you on this journey with me in this nonprofit that I decided to start during the craziest time to start a nonprofit when most nonprofits are going out of business. I'm like, hey, let's start one. No big deal. So right now. So thank you for jumping into this with me. I don't think either of us have a clue what's going to happen with this thing. No. But I know it's going to be big and I know we're going to be doing life together. And as you said today, that's what it's all about. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Awesome. This podcast was proudly brought to you by Could Have Been Me, a nonprofit organization that exists to inspire people who are struggling in life to use their voice and ask for help. For more information, please visit itcouldhavebeenme.org or email info at itcouldhavebeenme.org. Tune in next week because there's more to come.